Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. God had prepared us even even in that. And I remember calling you, Pastor Paul, and I and I remember saying, What do I do? What what do I do now? And I had been in that position with other people and suddenly I didn't know what to do. That is Susan Thompson sharing with Pastor Paul today about a recent tragedy experienced in her family and where she is finding hope. You're listening to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. The purpose of Life Support is to help others know how to come alongside those who are hurting and suffering. And hosted by Paul Johnson, lead pastor of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. In this series, Pastor Paul hosts conversations with survivors. No stranger to personal tragedy himself, Paul lost his first wife to cancer and then experienced the homicide of his 21-year-old son, giving him a unique perspective and empathy as he conducts these conversations. Here is Pastor Paul Johnson. This is Life Support, and I'm so glad you're with us. And we've got a tremendous story to tell. That's what we do here. We tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Christ. And we've been speaking with Susan Thompson, who is an ordained pastor. She is one of my colleagues at Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka. And Susie does a tremendous amount of counseling and pastoral care and just helping people. And she's really, really good at that. And she's got an incredible story to tell. Hi, Susie. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Very good to have you here. Just by way of recap, and you can stop me and correct me anytime, but we learned last time with you that you've been through a lot. You were married when you were young. Your husband wasn't faithful. He left you. Uh, It was very difficult. You had to go through a difficult divorce, and we talked a little bit about how difficult that was in the church and for your kids and when you got remarried, but we're especially interested in following the story of one of your daughters named Sarah. And you were very forthright last time in letting us know that Sarah has passed away recently, and I appreciate your courage being here today to talk about it because it's incredibly painful to do that. But we're tracking Sarah's story, and we left off when she was a teenager and you started to see some behaviors come into her life that you knew were not healthy. So... Pick it up there, and, and maybe in her late teenage teenage years, what did, what did you see happen with Sarah? Uh, we saw more and more rebellion, um, a growing growing resentment for anyone who would try to guide her, direct her. Um, she she really just spun out of control. She had no real plan for her life. Um, By the time she was 16, she had had a a baby girl. She placed that baby girl for adoption, and that was a heartbreak and a a terrible loss for our family as well. Um, But we were proud of her for making that particular choice. Uh, She graduated from high school without a plan for what she would do with her life. And it was heartbreaking because she was a very, very intelligent child, very bright girl. Um, But we began to see periods of of depression, uh, periods of sort of irrational behavior, 
she um, she moved. She one time packed up her bags when she was 19 years old. She packed up and moved out to Colorado to live with a, uh, a young man that we met on vacation and um, and just would do these really crazy, spontaneous things. Well, that didn't last very long, and she came back. And then it uh, wasn't too long, maybe two months later, she moved to Texas with uh, another man. They eventually were married, and that marriage did not last long. But what we saw was an increasing pattern of um, of drinking, of, of um, drinking too much, of behaviors that were really inconsistent, and we didn't really know what was going on. We couldn't really figure it out. We couldn't make all the pieces work because she could be so sweet, so kind. She was very loving to me um, on her good days and very cruel sometimes on her on her bad days. So eventually she just she moved to Texas, she got married, she got divorced, and within uh, less than a year, she was remarried again. So she had um, was very impulsive, I think would be the, the nature of her behavior. And at that point, we didn't have a diagnosis. We didn't know the, the full extent of, of what was going on with her. But we knew she was very, very unstable. As Christian parents, you had to walk this road with her. How did you express your faith and how did you, I guess this would be a way to phrase the question, back off and let her make mistakes? How was that balance? Oh, it was it was really hard because your tendency as a parent is to, when you get a phone call saying, I can't pay my rent, I'm going to be evicted, the tendency is to want to, to rush in and to help to try to prevent a crisis because I always felt like we were in crisis mode with her. There was never a moment where I felt at peace where Sarah was concerned. Um, I would pray and pray and pray and pray. And um, one of the things I, I used to say to her is every wrinkle I have in this face I got I got from you. Um, we spent literally hours praying for Sarah, our family, the entire family, church friends, um, prayer chains, many, many people praying for her to come back. She had made a decision for Christ as a as a little child. And I can remember um, the pastor uh, lifting her up the day that she was to be baptized. And he held her up. She was a cute little blondie and said, uh, Sarah, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and asked for the forgiveness of your sins? And she said, yes, sir. <laughs> in a in just a sweet little voice, and she was baptized that day, and she expressed um, faith in Christ as a child, but obviously she was not living for the Lord. She wasn't allowing him to be the Lord of her life throughout her young adulthood. And then you did get a diagnosis on her, and this is an interesting thing that we have to navigate as well, and when you have someone who does have mental illness, Mm-hmm. trying to separate their behavior from just outright rebellion and mm-hmm. their their illness and sin and that's got to be really hard it is it's it's hard to sort out what goes in what bucket um because you are dealing with um a, a real a diagnosis which as you 
said we finally got. And it took a long time to get that diagnosis. But we're dealing with mental illness. We're also dealing with what then became to be known an addiction. And you're dealing with just a person's flesh, their, who they are, um, their sinful nature. And so it's hard to sort that all out. And so I think as a parent, um, I had periods of despair myself, feeling this is never going to get better, Lord, um, and, and periods of hopefulness. Because frankly, when Sarah, uh, after she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, once her medications were managed properly, she was a different person. And um, my husband and I actually had the, the joy of having her come back home and live with us after she, we haven't talked about this yet, but after she had been through treatment and um, had been living in a sober home, we had the joy of having her come back and live with us. And we got to see the girl that we remembered, the girl that I remembered as a child and the girl who brought us great joy. And she had found a church here in the Twin Cities metro area that was an amazing church, is an amazing church that has found a niche ministering to people like Sarah, and they do it so well. That's, that's right. She, um, uh, at a certain point, needed to, needed to go and live in a sober home. Uh, we knew she couldn't live with us. She needed more support than what we were able to give. And, um, and God really answered our prayers, and it was kind of a, a, a Hail Mary type of thing where she really needed to find a place within about 24 hours a place that she could go, and uh, we called um, the housing director for Serenity Village Church in Crystal. Uh, we were told they never have openings, and uh, the gentleman that we spoke to said, well, give me about 24 hours and, and call me back and let me see what I can do, and he did call back. He called, and he spoke to Sarah, and he said, we have a bed can you come tomorrow? And uh, she didn't go tomorrow. She went a few days later, but she was able to move into that home and to participate in the recovery ministry at that church, which was an absolute godsend for her and for us. Um, They loved her with the radical love of Jesus, and that's what they do. They take people in. They love them right where they are with the expectation that they won't stay in that place, that they will grow beyond that. And grow she did. She uh, recommitted her life to Christ. She began to um, be absolutely passionate about sharing her faith. Uh, She worked in a store, a little retail store not far from the house there. And she would take every opportunity she had to be able to stop and pray with people. She'd say, you know, would it be okay for me to pray for you? And she would do that, and she would um, proudly wear her sweatshirt with the church logo mm-hmm. on it and mm-hmm. tell people about her church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and her sobriety was, um, became cemented, I believe, in that place. And she, she really grew in her faith and her knowledge of the Word and her love for God. We are such a mess, and God continues to be faithful and that's part of your story. And we're talking with Susie Thompson, staff member here at Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, and uh, a really trusted colleague and a friend. And she's got the courage to tell her story, and we're learning a lot from it. So, Sarah, 
doing really well. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you get a phone call, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. your life changed again. Mm-hmm. Life what was that like? Again. It was a nightmare. Um, uh, I, I felt like after when I received that phone call, and for others who have received similar kinds of phone calls, you probably understand the surreal nature of it. It's like you can't really wrap your head around what you're hearing. Is that, did you hear it right? Is this a nightmare and I will wake up? But um, there is a real surreal quality about that. My husband and I were uh, away. We had planned to be away for the winter, and um, we were suddenly forced to make plans for me to, to fly back to Minnesota. Um, Sarah has a daughter who was living in Texas at the time, we had to uh, tell, break the news to her. Fortunately, uh, God had gone be- before us, even in that, in providing our granddaughter with a Christian teacher who loved Sarah, who does, or who loved Sarah, but loved Bridget, and she was willing to go to where Bridget was living to make make the announcement to share the news with her. So God had prepared us even even in that. And I remember calling you, Pastor Paul, and I and I remember saying, what do I do? What, what do I do now? And I had been in that position with other people, and suddenly I didn't know what to do. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment, but we want to remind you that you are listening to Life Support. I'm Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media. During this COVID-19 era, church leaders and mental health professionals are experiencing an unprecedented need for practical, biblically sound mental health resources. We recognize that God began positioning us 18 months ago to step into Christian mental health resource production, and we would love to have you be a partner with us in that journey. You can simply log on to fivestonemedia.com slash donate. And so um, the shock of, of all of that um, it was just overwhelming. You wonder when you look back, how did I ever get through those first days? How did I ever get through? And the only answer that I have for that is I got through because of the prayers of God's people. Mm-hmm. I knew people were praying for me. People would send me a text message. People would... Uh, call and just not say too much, but just say, no, I'm praying for you. We love you. And so um, those early days and then trying to plan a a funeral service and trying to make all those arrangements, you just walk in this place of of numbness. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to describe it. And it's like the oxygen just gets sucked out of the air. It's hard Mm -hmm. to breathe. You can't really think straight. You're in a fog Mm -hmm. and in a fog for a long time. And I think that as we walk with people that have lost children, which is what we're talking about right now, it's all kinds of different loss. Not, nothing is harder or easier. It's just we're talking about that right now. Uh, you've got to, I think, remember that when someone has lost a child, that's a life-changing, life-altering event. The person that you're walking with is not going to snap back to the person that they were before. And I think that's one of the reasons that parents that have lost children feel very isolated because they know deep inside of themselves that they'll never be the same. Mm-hmm. They don't relate to people the same way. Their personalities change. And yet all their world wants them to be the same. Mm-hmm. And it's terribly isolating. It is because people, um, 
I, I think this is really characteristic of, of grief, is that after a period of time, um, maybe after it's after the funeral or maybe it's after the first month or whatever the, the milestone is, um, many people kind of walk away. They're ready for you to be done. Hmm. They're ready to move on with their life, and they don't realize that you are still stuck back here. You you haven't moved yet from that place. So one of the, the, the pieces of, I don't want to say advice, but a recommendation that I would give to people walking with those who are grieving, whatever the nature of the loss is, it really requires a lot of patience. And it's going to take more time than you think it should. Yeah. So be patient with the one who's grieving. Yeah, that's great advice because that person who's grieving is not trying to be a drag or trying to move slowly. It's easy to just label them as being a victim or having self-pity or, you know, being, I hear this a lot, they're stuck. Mm -hmm. Well, of course they're stuck. Mm -hmm. A child is a different kind of loss and... In churches, we're not very patient. We aren't very good at stopping and walking with people. We really find out who our real friends are. It's true. Mm-hmm. And so the friends that I've run across are ones that just keep checking in. And, you know, maybe it's now down to once a year at Taylor's birthday or on the day that he was killed. The same people will just go, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Mm-hmm. They don't forget. Those are your real friends. When others when others forget, they don't forget. Uh, one of the things that, if I can just um, pat you on the back for a moment, you and Wendy, one of the things that I know you learned from your own experience and one of the things that has blessed us is the, the text early in the morning saying, I'm with you or I'm praying for you. And to know that others remember, it, it's absolutely invaluable it it is like a virtual hug to know that sometimes you can't pray for yourself sometimes you have no more words and I can remember being in this place it's like God what am I going to say to you that you haven't heard before about this and you're just in a place where you can't pray for your own needs or you can't pray for your spouse who is undoubtedly grieving in a little different way and on a different timetable than you are um, so to to have others lifting you up, uh, praying for you, you I have really had the sense of being carried some days. Like it was almost like somebody picked me up and carried me through the day. Um, it, it's an unbelievable blessing that you will give your friend, your loved one, if you will let them know that you are praying for them. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to investigate Christ. And the things that Susie and I are talking about are things that we've discovered about God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are many times where I felt the same thing, where I could not even pray. I I couldn't read the Bible. Mm -hmm. I couldn't think straight. I didn't have the energy to do that. But God was faithful to reach in. And that's where I think sometimes we get into this performance Christianity. When, you, when you're suffering deeply, you discover that it's really not about you. God is the one that's initiating. He's the one that's leaning in. He's the one that touches you in places. 
that you can't even go yourself. And it's really a learning experience, and you learn so much about the love of God through that. It's really true. You you learn the word that has stuck out to me from Scripture and from things that I've read over the last few months since Sarah passed away is the word steadfast. And that characteristic of God, his steadfast love, um, he loves me when I feel like I don't love him. He he cares for me when I could care less about myself. He is steadfast. He never lets go. And so um, hold on to that word when you're hurting. Hold on to that word when you feel alone, that whatever you are feeling, God is steadfast and he is there for you. And that's good words for now when we're all isolated and lonely and we're trying to figure out what's happening with the pandemic and sometimes it seems as though we're disconnected and uh, everything's different and weird and I was saying today in a Facebook live post that I'm sure my church gets tired of but I was saying you know I got up this morning and I know what day it is and I'm really happy about that because it's garbage day so I know it's (laughs) Thursday otherwise it's day 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 so everything is different but the good thing is the hopeful thing is, is that God has not changed, and God is available. And even, you know, Susie, I, I hear people say, you know, use this time to become a, a new person. Use this time to do this. Use, man, here's what I would say to people. Use this time to survive a national emergency. God will initiate in your life if you let him. And I'm finding out a lot about myself, a lot about God through this. And sometimes loneliness and isolation brings that out. Tell me a little bit real quickly about your marriage, because the first thing I heard was, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't make it when their children die. Well, how do you keep a marriage healthy when you have a loss like that? You have to respect the fact that your partner, your, your spouse, uh, will grieve in a different way. And each of you, I think, need support people. different people. Um, My husband needs my brothers who can encourage him. And and men, just I think by the nature of the way God created them, um, perhaps grieve a little bit differently. I see in him um, more anger, more frustration that comes out. And maybe the temper is a little more quick than it was before. So having a respect for the fact that your spouse will um, grieve differently. And the other thing is, even in the midst of, the other thing is, each of you do need a support system of your own. Yes, you can be a support for one another in some ways, but you can't be the the only support for your spouse. They need their own. Um, You also need to make room in your marriage for times that you laugh, even in spite of crying. And I can remember very clearly after Sarah died, the first time that I heard myself laugh out loud, I was shocked that I was actually able to laugh. And Larry just looked at me, my husband just looked at me, and he said, you know, you're laughing. And it was such a breakthrough to be able to feel joy, even if it's just a little minute of joy during your day. So find a way to to find some joy in your day, even in the midst of the depth of your grief, 
whether it's a bird out on your bird feeder or at this time of year some sign of new life but find some joy and don't be surprised when you do laugh and don't feel guilty don't feel guilty no god would want you god wants you your loved one wants you to have life again and it it won't be joyful all the time it won't be like it used to be but there's hope and there is joy to be felt well that's a great way to end our time together and we're going to have susie back next time as well because she not only has to carry the burden of trying to grapple with her story but she helps others in a church setting and i want to talk to her about what it's like to have to do that and also to give us all practical tips of how we can walk alongside others and how we can continue to feed our own souls even when we're experiencing pain and suffering you know when we are in the midst of pain and trauma you can count on the compassion and love of god that's a surety in Deuteronomy 4.31, the Bible tells us, For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. We serve a God who is always loving and always kind. And though our circumstances change all of the time, God never changes. So I just want to encourage you to go to God when you're hurting and in your pain and also remember that he's going to pursue you and on days when you can't even get up in the morning you can't say a prayer god is still there he loves you and his hand is on you this is life support we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with christ i want to thank you for spending time with us and thank you to our wonderful partners faith radio five stone media and ridgewood church you can find each of those entities online myfaithradio.com myrwc.org slash life support and fivestonemedia.com I would love to have you follow me on Twitter if you would at Pastor Paul J and I'm so glad that you joined us and we'll look forward to catching you next time on Life Support Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast These conversations are available because of listener support You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com To avoid missing future editions of Life Support Subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.